The Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by Winbet. Bet $100 at Winbet and get a $100 free bet. Head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. We're also brought to you by IP Vanish. IP Vanish is the official VPN of SGPN and they're offering 70% off if you go to ipvanish.com slash SGP. That's ipvanish.com slash SGP. And finally, make sure to check out our new Discord server, the perfect place to interact and sweat bets with the entire SGPN crew. Just head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. It's almost time to start talking about the domestic soccer season. The EPL show is just one day away from its return. But first of all, we need to give you that very early World Cup preview. Not as early as it should have been. This show was intended to be a reaction to the World Cup draw. But we were inundated with other content at the time that we had to do. Then I delayed it and delayed it. And then I took my little break and realised... I had never put this show out. So I know some people are waiting for it. This is a busy week with the number of shows we need to do for the EPL, starting with the EPL Fantasy Premier League show, then two parts for the EPL season preview. And then, of course, we have the first EPL show of the season looking at match day one. So four shows to come for the EPL. But first of all, let's get this World Cup show out on the Soccer Gambling Podcast feed. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter. It's at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can also follow the account for BetMUFC. There'll be an episode of BetMUFC released on Saturday. That'll be looking at Man United's transfer window and the game against Brighton on Sunday. The Twitter account is at BetMUFC. That's at BetMUFC. And finally... Follow the Twitter account for LockBetting.com. It's at LockBetting.com. That's at LockBetting.com. So LockBetting.com without the dot. That is my premium pay service that has now delivered 110 months in a row of transparent track profit. The PL for the month of July is going up in the next 24 hours. That will be the pin tweet. Currently, you can look at the month of June. The pin tweet is always the previous month. If you want to see more PLs, then go to the bottom of the PL, which is pinned. Go to the tags at the bottom. They say things like soccer, football, uh, tennis, NBA, etc. Click the PL tab, and that will take you to all of the previous PLs, verifying the fact. We have genuinely delivered 110 months in a row of transparent track profit. That means I'm 10 months away from being able to say I haven't had a single losing month in sports betting on this service for an entire decade. 
And August is the very best time to sign up because it is the start of our betting year. The calendar year is obviously January to January. The betting year for us is August to August because we release all of our soccer futures. The soccer season starts and we start releasing our NFL futures as well. Plus, we have the US Open Tennis Tournament too. So a huge, huge month. Always see it as the first month of our betting year. And you can get involved by heading over to lockbetting.com and get those futures in for the soccer season because they hit at 81% all time, which is incredible. You want to be a part of that. And you can be by heading over to lockbetting.com, the service that has delivered 110 months in a row of transparent track profit. When you look at those P&L spreadsheets, look at the type of bets we do, look at the sports we bet on, look at the stakes, most importantly, because you'll see that it's all sensible stuff. It's affordable to anybody that can afford to gamble. And of course, look at those comments at the bottom because they're from real members and they verify the fact this service has done everything that I am saying here. On top of going to the lockbetting.com page for my plays and some additional content, you can also find additional content on the Lockbetting podcast feed. So over the summer, I did launch a Lockbetting podcast. It's for podcasts that don't go at lockbetting.com and aren't wanted by the sports gambling podcast. So we formally did a Bundesliga show here. The Bundesliga show will be back. That will be over on the Lock Betting podcast podcast feed. And that's where me and my colleague Cav will be moving our NFL show to. We'll be moving away from the dirty sheets and we'll be moving it onto the new Lock Betting feed. So if you want to get some additional content from me for free, then uh, make sure you subscribe to the Lock Betting podcast feed. So moving on with this long overdue World Cup preview. We start by looking at the outright markets where Brazil are the 5-1 to favourites at the moment to win the World Cup in November. We then have England as the second favourites, I have no idea why, at 11-2. to They're followed by the current world champions France at 6-1. to Argentina are now up at 7-1 to after winning the Copa America and then winning the Finalissima against Italy. We then get Spain at 8 to 1, Germany at 10 to 1, Portugal 12 to 1, Netherlands 12 to 1, Belgium out of 14 to 1. And then we have a bigger gap where we have Denmark 28 to 1, last time out World Cup finalists Croatia at 50 to 1, Uruguay at 50 to 1, Switzerland 80 to 1, Senegal 80 to 1, USA at 100 to 1. And everybody else is bigger than 125 to 1. So let's look at the top teams here in the market. When we hit England, I said I didn't really understand why they were the second favourites. I do understand why Brazil are the favourites, even though it's um, not going to be as hot in November. That's why they didn't play this in the summer, because it would have been murderous weather and it's going to be a little bit cooler in November. It's still going to be pretty hot. And that does favour the South American teams. It does favour the non-European teams. It does suit Brazil. Brazil also have a very, very good team from top to bottom. They're very, very solid defensively. We know in goal alone, they have to choose between Edison and Allison, who are the two best goalkeepers in the EPL. And they have depth all over the place. You're looking at the likes of Marquinhos, Alexandro, Thiago Silva, Eder Militao, uh, Philip Coutinho, Fred, 
Casemiro, Fabinho, Danilo, uh, Neymar, Richarlison, Gabriel Jesus, Vinny Jr., Rafinha. These are world-class players who are playing for Brazil, and it's understandable why they are the favourites. They fell short last time in the Copa America, but um, they have more pedigree than Argentina, which is why they're higher up the market. We move on to England, and um, I think we saw a sign of things to come. Last year in the Euros, England blew their big chance of ending the tournament drought. Fortunately, the, the women managed to finally end it for the first time since 1966. England uh, lifted the trophy. Thank you to the women there. Obviously, that is a joke. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think the big chance came at the Euros and England went 1-0 up. They looked like they were going to... They were going to lead from the front. They should have just continued to attack. They should have continued to put pressure on an Italian team who massively overachieved by being there. We've now seen that Italy weren't as good as they looked in 2021 recently by them not making the World Cup. But England decided to sit back for 87 minutes. They decided to go 1-0 up after three minutes and thought they could defend that lead for 87 minutes because their manager shouldn't be the England manager. And people will argue and say he's the most successful manager since Alf Ramsey. Well, no other manager had an easier path to a semi-final of a World Cup and a final of the Euros. England never, not once, beat any team in the last World Cup or in the recent Euros as an underdog. England overcame every single team that they beat as a significant favourite, and that includes Germany in the last 16. So, whereas it's been touted as a great achievement by Southgate, England never, ever, ever were an underdog in any match that they won. And they were the favourites to win the final, and they lost. And they were the favourites to beat Croatia in the semi-final of the World Cup, and they lost. So, I think Southgate is being exposed here. I think he's losing the players. I think the style of play isn't suitable to England. I think we're wasting our opportunity with the crop of players that we have. We have unbelievable attackers. We have, we have decent midfielders. We have solid defenders. And um, we've got the wrong manager here in charge at the moment. I think he's going to go in with two holding players again. I think he's going to play Calvin Phillips, even though he's going to have his minutes limited at Manchester City, alongside Declan Rice. And that's only going to give us one attack second player in that position and he's going to go for boring reliable Mason Mount um, I don't think Jaden Sancho is going to make this squad I don't think Marcus Rashford of Man United is going to make this squad I don't think that Jack Grealish is going to get enough game time I don't think Grealish is going to get enough game time at Manchester City and I think eventually that is going to have an effect on his confidence and the way that he plays because Manchester City like to move the ball enough and they signed a player who likes to run with the ball and, and stylistically Grealish and Manchester City isn't a good match and if you're not getting minutes in Manchester City, it gives Gareth Southgate even more of an excuse to not play, not play a player that he really doesn't like in the first place. So with all of these issues going on and the over-reliance on, on Harry Kane and the patchy form of, of Harry Maguire, who will continue to play for England, we have to see how he plays for Manchester United this season. It's too hard to tell as we're doing this podcast here in um, in uh, in late July, but um, that's why it is the early reaction to to the World Cup draw and my reaction to it based on um, based on what England were then and what England were after the Nations League hasn't really changed because I never rated Gareth Southgate. I've always thought that um, his achievements were down to the fact that England had such easy and lucky draws. And um, I never really overinflated my opinion of England based on that. 
and uh, what happened with the Nations League games hasn't really changed anything for me. Up next in the market, we have France. They again were piss poor in the Nations League, but I have more hopes for them turning up at the tournament because they are the former World Cup winners. Of course, they are solid through and through as well when you look through their team. They're still playing with Hugo Lloris in goal as are Tottenham. I can't imagine Lloris has more than two or three more years at the top. Defensively, yes, you can run through all of the players and you can see that they are solid in every position. So it'll be a waste of time to do that. I think Kylian Mbappe needs to have a good tournament. He hasn't really shown up for France since the last World Cup. But obviously, in his defence, you can argue that he already has a World Cup winner's medal. So they'll be looking for big things here from Kylian Mbappe. They'll be looking for big things from Karim Benzema. This is very likely to be, well, in fact, it will be the final World Cup of his career. He wasn't involved in 2018 and he'll be looking to make up for lost time. But... It's worth mentioning that Karim Benzema only really returned to France for the 2021 Euros, Euro 2020 in 2021. And they were very, very disappointing in that tournament. And ever since then, they've been very disappointing ever since. They did very, very poorly in the Nations League. In fact, I don't think it would be massively controversial to suggest that Karim Benzema's recent inclusion in the France team has been a disruption to France because France likes playing with Olivier Giroud. Now, when you compare, compare Giroud to Benzema, the two players are in a different league. Giroud does what Giroud does and Benzema does what he does. But Giroud was unselfish. Giroud wasn't trying to be a superstar. Giroud isn't a player who's carried Real Madrid to the La Liga title. He doesn't have that ego. He doesn't have that influence. He can do the dirty work. He can do the donkey work. And the players love him for it. By replacing Giroud for Benzema, despite the fact that one is a far better player than the other, it seems to have disrupted the chemistry of France when you're trying to get uh, Griezmann and Benzema and Kylian Mbappe in the same team. I'm not suggesting they don't get along because we know that Benzema and Mbappe get on. We know these players get along. But on the pitch, something just doesn't seem to be right. They also don't seem to be getting anything out of Paul Pogba now. Uh, N'Golo Kante hasn't looked like the same player for the last 18 months. So I'm not sure about France. I do think if they click... They are a better team than England. They've got a better manager than England. They've been there, done that before. So I have more hopes for them. But um, but yeah, I, I'm not surprised to see them third in the market here at the moment. Argentina are a very, very interesting one. They don't have many major superstars except one, and that's Leo Messi. And that's completely different to what we're seeing with France. France don't turn around and go, our superstar is Kylian Mbappe and we'll all put the work in. No, there's a belief that there are multiple superstars in the France team. That doesn't exist for Argentina. Argentina, it's all about Leo Messi. And then there are 10 men around him working their asses off. And previously, there wasn't 10 men around him working his asses off. It was Lionel Messi carrying Argentina on his back. This isn't the case anymore. Argentina have come together and they've clicked. They're riding a crazy unbeaten run into this tournament. They're looking to break the world record of Italy and uh, they can do that in the early games in this tournament by remaining undefeated and that's just, just, that's just going to give them more confidence as well. They have the South American aspect where the, the climate suits them as well, much like it does Brazil and of course they beat Brazil in the Copa America final. So for me, 
Argentina are a real standout play here. I would have liked to have got them at 10 to 1. You now have to take 7 to 1, but I still think there's massive value there on the Argentines. After that, we have Spain. Spain are the same Spain team we've been talking about for years. Stylistically, they do the same thing. They are lacking the goal scorer that I think that could make them a stronger play here. They're solid defensively, they're solid in midfield, they have some good attackers, but they don't have that number nine that I think can take them to this World Cup tournament or give them a chance of winning this World Cup. That's their problem. They're going to play tiki-taka football, they're going to dominate the ball, they're going to create more chances than you, they're going to have more shots, they're going to have more expected goals, they're statistically going to beat every team they play against. But without that significant number nine, I'll be writing off Spain's chances and I won't be giving them much love here at eight to one. Germany are a very interesting side because on paper, they do have the team and they do have the players to win this World Cup. When you look at this team from top to bottom, if you look at the goalkeeper, they've got Manuel Neuer there. He's super reliable. He's got 113 caps. He's a significant player still for Bayern Munich. That is a solid goalkeeper here. From top to bottom, look at the defence. Antonio Rudiger moved to Real Madrid, just had an unbelievable season for Chelsea. They'll be gutted that they weren't able to keep hold of him. He's the key man in the back line. You also have Nicolas Sewell, who's just moved to Borussia Dortmund. If you go down to the midfield, you'll see Joshua Kimmich, you'll see Kai Havertz, you'll see Leon Goretzka, you'll see the likes of Julian Brandt, Ike Gundogan, Marco Royce. These are very, very top-level midfielders. I'm not sure all of them will be implemented as midfielders because, because, of course, the likes of Royce and Brandt can play further up the field. Kai Havertz as well. He can play in front of the striker, can play as a striker, who can play out wide. Speaking of wide players, they have Gnabry, they have Leroy Sane. They still have Thomas Muller, who's very, very reliable. He can still score goals. He can still be dangerous coming into the box late. I think the striker problem is an issue for them. Obviously, Obviously, Karim Adeyemi could be a key player for Borussia Dortmund this season and uh, we'll see how he fares for them and we'll see how he fares for the German national team if he's chosen ahead of Timo Werner. But if Timo Werner is who you're relying on to score your goals, then that's really going to be your weakness. Obviously, now under new management, of, uh, under the newer management of Hansi Flick, it's not new now, but it's obviously fairly new and um, that gives them a much better chance as well and this isn't a criticism of Joe Lowe he was there for a long time he did a good job as the German manager but I think by the last tournament his motivation had gone he'd, he'd gone a little bit stale the players weren't really buying into what he's doing you can't say the same here though for for Hansi Flick Hansi Flick decided that he was going to leave Bayern Munich after he had just won the Champions League with them to go on and become the manager of the German national team. Now, that's not the order that things happen in these days. It's fair to say that international management has taken a backseat to managing one of the top, top teams in the Champions League. I'm not saying international management is a bad job by any means. It's a top, top level job. It's a job above managing any of the mid-table teams, but when you're looking at those top, top Champions League teams, when you're looking at a, a Bayern Munich, a Barcelona, a Real Madrid, a Manchester City, a Liverpool, these are the top jobs in football. Even in Man United, even though they're not in the Champions League, that's a top job in football. And I think international management is seen below that. 
I think when you're looking at the likes of a, a Louis van Gaal dropping down into international management, that's because he couldn't get a top-level job in club football, one of the top Champions League teams. This manager, Hansi Flick, decided to do it the other way. And I don't think he would have made that decision unless he felt like this team had a real chance of competing here at this World Cup. After that, we look at Portugal at 12-1. to 1. This is going to be the final swan song for Cristiano Ronaldo. And I genuinely think this Portugal squad are being very, very underrated here. I think they are slipping under the radar it's often seen as Messi plus 10 and Ronaldo plus 10. Well, that's certainly not the case here in this team from top to bottom. They have Rui Patricio in goal. He's solid in the defence. Uh, Pepe still going strong somehow at his age. Rafa Guerrero is a solid fullback, as is Diego Dallo. Jao Cancelo may be the best fullback in world football when he plays for Portugal. In midfield, of course, you're looking at the creativity of Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva, but they're also backed up by the likes of Ruben Neves, Jao Martinho, Danilo Pereira, William Carvalho. Up top, you have Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, but he's backed up by Andre Silva and Diego Jota. This is a strong, strong team. They have a very, very solid eleven. And Portugal, for me, are a strong dark horse here at the price of 12 to 1. I'd say they're stronger than the Netherlands. Obviously, Louis van Gaal has done very, very well since taking over as the Dutch boss. That's why they are the favourites to win the Nations League at the moment. But I just don't see them winning the World Cup. I think they just lack a little bit of quality even though there is a lot of quality in this team when you're looking at the likes of Memphis Depay, Frankie de Jong, you're looking at very, very solid defenders when you're talking about the lit, Van Dyke and others. So this is a strong, strong team. They have a very, very good manager. It wouldn't be a major surprise if they did very, very well. But for me, teams above them are better and there should be a price differential between Portugal and the Netherlands with both being at 12 to 1. And as for Belgium, they're at 14 to 1. I think their chance has come and gone. I think the golden generation are getting on a little bit now. Um, this is probably going to be the last World Cup for a Kevin De Bruyne. He may play one more. Um, he may not. Then you have Romelu Lukaku as well. Um, he's he's never really taken that next step to becoming a, a well-cast player. He had a very, very good season with Inter Milan. He then moved on to Chelsea. He may have another very good season with Inter Milan, but I just don't regard Romelu Lukaku as being that world-class top five in the world striker who's going to carry you to a World Cup. And at the back, they've lost a lot of their top players that were a part of that golden generation. When you're looking at Alder Wilder and you're looking at Batongan, the back line now concerns me. Yes, they have Courtois and goal, but what's in front of him concerns me. And I think there's a reason why Belgium are out of 14 to 1. And as I said, I think their chance is gone. So that's my, um, that's my analysis here of the top teams. I think Argentina and Portugal are the teams to back at those standout prices. And um, on the side of those, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me greatly if the favourites Brazil did go on and win it. And I think Germany are a little bit too big at 10 to 1. But I am writing off the chances of England. I don't fancy France. I don't fancy Spain. And I don't fancy the Netherlands or Belgium either. So um, I think it will come from one of the four teams that I pinpointed. But we'll see how things are when we get to 
into November because, of course, when we get nearer the time, we will be releasing releasing a more in-depth preview. And in that preview, we'll be looking at the groups as well. My initial reaction to the groups was was a pretty standard one. I think the favourites should all win their groups, but that's always the case when groups are drawn. You look at it and uh, you think the favourites are going to win and you're trying to find a reason why they won't. I can't see any reason why Holland don't win Group A. They're the one to two favourites to win it. They're in a group with Ecuador, Qatar and Senegal. England should definitely win Group B, but not if they play the way they played in the last round of Nations League games. They're in a group with USA, Iran and Wales. Um, the games against uh, USA and Wales could be tricky ones, though, and it wouldn't surprise me to see England winning that group with only five points or, or seven points at best. In Group C, Argentina should come through that one as the winners. The, big, the biggest challenge comes from Mexico, in my opinion, although um, the bookies have priced up Mexico and Poland as equals, both at 5-1 to one to win the group with Argentina. Argentina as the one to two favourites and the Saudis out of 20 to 1. France should win a group here between Denmark, Australia and Tunisia, although Denmark have proven to be a difficult team to beat. So if there's anybody I wouldn't back in the first four groups, it would be France. Group E should be won by uh, by Spain, according to the bookies, but they're in a group here with Germany. This some people would look at as a tough group, but Yes, Spain have to play Germany and vice versa, but they should easily get past Costa Rica and Japan, who are the other two teams in the group. That's probably the most difficult group to to pick out a winner. I would skip group, skip group D and I would skip Group E as well. In Group F, it should be won by Belgium. Yes, they're aging. Yes, the golden generation has he's always about to fully move on but their biggest rivals are the runners-up from the last world cup croatia and their key players now are getting really really old when you're looking at them still relying on luka modric as their key man i don't think they have a chance of reaching another world cup final and i think they'll finish runners-up in this group but i do think they'll qualify because the other two teams in group f are canada and morocco belgium incidentally are the 8 to 15 favorites to win that group brazil should fly through their group i'm I'm surprised they're priced up here at just um, 8 to 15 to win it with the other three teams being Cameroon, Serbia and Switzerland. The Swiss are the second favourites to win the group at 92 of Serbia at 11 to 2. I think Brazil and Switzerland go through there with Brazil winning the group. I'd certainly be putting that one in my group parlays. And the final group, it's a tough one for Portugal, but they are the favourites at 4 to 6 with Uruguay narrowly behind them at 2 to 1. After that, you have both Ghana and South Korea at 11 to 1 to qualify. This one was referred to as the group of death. I can see it because all of the teams are tough. But I think Ronaldo and Cole will be very disappointed not to get out of this group and also not to win this group, which they are the 4-6 to six minus 150 favourites to win. So that's your very, very quick look at the groups. Of course, this is your early World Cup preview. Not as early as it should have been, but it's still early. There'll be a proper preview when we get to the World Cup. There'll be a, a there'll be analysis of every single group. We're looking at the top goal scorer markets, but at the moment, our primary focus is domestic soccer. So the schedule for this week will be releasing the the fantasy show. Then there'll be parts one and two of the EPL preview. Then there'll be EPL 
EPL match day one, the EPL show match day one. Then there'll be an edition of Bet MUFC. And then next week, we'll be looking at match day two. And we'll be looking at the season futures preview of Scamessa Italia. And we'll also be releasing a futures preview as well. If you want a Bundesliga futures preview, along with looking at match day one, I'll be releasing that on my own podcast feed, the Lock Betting podcast feed. So make sure you check out all of my content. That's it for me. Good luck of all of your bets as always, guys. And thanks for listening.